when we say, The Lord is my commander. He talks. I listen. I obey. Lord, I will do whatever you want. I will accept whatever you allow. That is what it means when we say, The Lord is my commander. Our message is, Preparing for life's battles. Are you facing a battle in your life today? Have you faced battles before? Do you feel defeated when you face these challenges of life? Well, we will learn from this chapter, the fifth chapter of Joshua, how God can prepare us and how we also need to prepare ourselves for the battles of life. What can we learn in preparation for life's battles? Consecration, celebration, confidence, and complete obedience. So those are the four principles, the four experiences. As I said, the first three for the entire nation of Israel. The fourth one was really between Joshua and uh, God himself. And each of these four principles, they, they carry with them a declaration about the Lord. Let's begin now with verse 1 of chapter 5. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, so again, this is west, if you recall the map, west of the Jordan River. So all of the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan to the west, and all of the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, by the Mediterranean, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed and that their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. And so their hearts were melted. And why did God allow this? Well, among other reasons, He wanted to prepare His people. He wanted to give them space, time, room, to make sure that they were spiritually right before God, and so that they wouldn't be sitting ducks for all of these kings and all of their armies. So let's see again what we can learn from these principles and these experiences. So let's begin with the first one, consecration. Now, as I said, each of these principles carry with it, as it were, a declaration about God. When we talk about consecration, the declaration is, the Lord is my master. Can we all say that together? The Lord is my master. Now, it may be easy enough to say it, but to really know what it means and mean it from the heart is a different story. You see, when we say, the Lord is my master, we say, I belong completely to Him. Not only in certain circumstances, not only when it's convenient, but He owns me. The Lord is my master means He is my owner. Consecration is the act of dedicating yourself to the service and the worship of God. In short, consecration is your unconditional surrender to God. And we'll see <clears throat> in God's economy, strangely enough, that the key to victory is surrender. How did that now translate into what God had His people do? In verse 2, it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. Now, please don't misunderstand. You cannot circumcise the same person twice. He's talking about a brand new generation. 
So let's see. In verse 4, Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. <laughs> this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Okay? All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt 40 years ago. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness, this new generation that had just crossed the Jordan, along the way as they came out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that He would not let them see the land, which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. So it's a look back at a very sad story where people forfeited. The previous generation had forfeited their entry into the promised land because of unbelief because of disobedience. Now, you remember the story. Moses sent 12 spies to spy out the promised land. The 12 spies come back. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, let's go. The other 10 say, no go. Unfortunately, the people sided with the 10 who said no go, and so they started to complain. They started to, you know, cry out. And, and grumble and basically say, we're not going, even if God already told them to go according to His promise. And so if we turn the clock back to the book of Numbers, this was the consequence of their disobedience. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. These were the two spies who said, let's go. Your children... However, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. It's a really sad story. And you can, and I can learn a few things, even from this passage from Numbers. Number one, God is a patient and gracious God. But His patience has a limit, and someday His judgment of sin will be experienced by those who choose to disobey Him, who are stiff-necked, who are incorrigibly disobedient. The second thing is sin is really terrible based on its consequences. It has awful consequences long-lasting consequences. And third, we can learn that because sin is so awful, it even has collateral damage. It says, your sons will be shepherds for 40 years. I will bring them in, but they will suffer because of your disobedience. So this whole thing about um, being consecrated to God, why circumcision of all things? Let's turn the clock back even further. In Genesis 17, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. 
This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Think of a marriage. A husband and wife choose to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. <clears throat> That's what a covenant is. It's one person belonging to another through a promise for life, devoted, holy, set apart, belonging in this case to God alone. And that's what consecration meant. It was as if these, pe these people were saying, Lord, I am confirming publicly in the means that you prescribe through this covenant of circumcision that I, we belong to you and to you alone. But you see, this is not just about a physical act of dedication. A lot of things can be said about circumcision as a physical act. It's basically the cutting away of the flesh. And so symbolically, it's like doing away with our fleshly, sinful, worldly ways. As a matter of fact, even in the Old Testament, God already said there's more to circumcision than the physical act. This is something far more than just the males are supposed to do. Because in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 10, this is what he said. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. In other words, God is saying, this is all about grace. This is all about my sovereign choice. It's like Jesus saying, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And it's such a privilege to be chosen of God, isn't it? And so it's as if God was saying, since I chose you, a decision of my divine mind and heart, therefore circumcise your what did he say? Circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. In Tagalog, wag kang matigas ang ulo. Circumcise your heart. Meaning to say, it's really a heart issue. When we decide to say, Lord, I belong to you and I'm going to do away with my worldly, fleshly, selfish ways of life. Circumcise your heart. And yet, God knows that you and I cannot do that on our own power. And so in the same book, in Deuteronomy, 20 chapters later, God said this, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. On the one hand, you and I are responsible for how we live our lives. So God says, circumcise your heart. But on the other hand, God says, only I can make that change happen. Only I can transform you from the inside out. 
through the power of my spirit. So I will circumcise your heart. It's man's responsibility and God's sovereignty, again, seen very clearly in his word. How do we completely reconcile the two? We can only say both are true. Now, what about today? How do we uh, consecrate ourselves to the Lord? And that's why Romans 12.1 is such an important verse. We go back to it every so often. And we, some of you know this by heart already. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, the tremendous grace that God has shown you, the fact that he has chosen you to be his child, to be a part of his kingdom, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. The word present here means to put yourself at someone's disposal. That's what the word present means. And so it's like we're saying, Lord, I am yours 100%. It's like you've gone to the altar on your wedding day and saying to the other person, I'm yours 100%. Not cannot be 99. It has to be 100%. Lord, I belong to you. You're my master. You're my owner. And I love serving you. Going back to Joshua, it says, Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. So amazingly, we go back to that first verse we read, how God put the fear of the Israelites in the hearts of all of those kings and their armies and their citizens so that they would not pounce upon the people of God as they healed. In the meantime, God's people were being prepared for battle. And it says here, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. It's a play of words. The name Gilgal is a circle. So in a way, it can be like, you know, when something rolls away, it's usually in a circular motion. And he's reminding the people that today I have taken away from you the reproach, the shame of having been slaves to Egypt once upon a time. And so they're saying, Lord, because of your great mercy, we are yours. Some of you are here today. Some of you are listening online. And you have never really consecrated yourself to the Lord. I pray this is the day that you will do so. Or perhaps some of you sincerely may have consecrated yourself. You've given your life to Jesus in the past. But you've gone astray somewhere, somehow. Now this is a good time to come back to him and consecrate ourselves again in a fresh way. So first was consecration. The Lord is my master. The second one is celebration. And the declaration of this is the Lord is my savior. Can we all say that together? The Lord is my savior. And where do we get that in this narrative in Joshua chapter 5? Well, it says here, while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. So this was a momentous occasion. The first Passover ever celebrated, by the way, the, the word observe, one of the translations of this word is celebrate. So this is the first Passover ever celebrated in the promised land. And it was by this new generation of people who had just consecrated themselves to the Lord. Now remember, 
We read earlier in chapter 4, they crossed on the 10th of the first month. Remember that? And then here they are celebrating the Passover on the 14th day of the month. Why would that be significant, historically speaking? You know, God's timing is really amazing. If we go back to Exodus, the very first Passover, it said, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months of the months for you. In other words, this month will be like the start of a new year, the start of a new life, a whole new beginning for you because I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And then he says, it is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, the same day, that the Israelites crossed the Jordan. Amazing. You know, God could have had them cross any other time, but he had them cross on, at flood stage, and he had them cross at the 10th of the first month. They are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. But wait, you might say, it's said in Joshua chapter 5 that they celebrated the, fast, the Passover on the 14th day. Oh, just a moment. Let's read some more. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until when? The 14th day. So they were actually doing what God told them to do. Of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts, and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And folks, it never fails to amaze me the, the imagery of that putting the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the door. And many of you already know, it's really an image of the cross of Christ. And so in the same way that God said, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, through the sacrifice of Jesus, God rolls away the shame of slavery to sin for you and me. And that's why in Exodus 12, God said, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's why it's called the Passover. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so, folks, as we said, the Lord rolled away the reproach of slavery to Egypt. Today, through Jesus, our slavery to sin, its reproach and its shame, is rolled away. And that's why Jesus is called our Passover Lamb. Matthew 26, 2, you know that the Passover is coming. This is Jesus speaking. And the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. And that's why you and I celebrated the Lord's Supper. That's exactly what we've done. Now, how does this, this celebration help prepare us for the battles of life? Because that's what we're talking about, right? Uh, many of you may know that probably the greatest battle I've faced so far in my life is losing my wife just under two years ago. 
And in the early days after she had passed and while I was recovering from COVID, it was like I was waking up each morning into a nightmare. My, my life was literally upside down. And it, it really takes a while for the, for the grace and the healing of God to, to be real. I experienced that myself. But let me give you one practical experience that has to do with a change in perspective. And it has to do with the fact that Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, in, the, in my home, in our home, there are so many pictures of my wife around the house. And as I would walk around the house, you know, I was comparing notes with Pastor Irwin, who also lost uh, his wife last year. And I was saying to him, bro, uh, there were times when it was hard for me to look at the pictures. And he said, same with me. But you know what? Last year, maybe about a year ago, as I would take those walks around the house, God impressed on me something very simple. He said, every time you see these pictures, you give thanks. Every time you, you make this your discipline, you make this your spiritual exercise. When you see all of these pictures, you give thanks. And how I was processing giving thanks for what? It wasn't just for all of the 36 and a half years we had together. He said, you give thanks because at this very moment, because Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, your wife is walking and leaping and praising God in my presence for the rest of eternity. And you know, it really works. Change of perspective leads to a change of heart, leads to a change of thinking, leads to a change of living. And so every time I go through the house and I see all of these pictures, what do I do? Lord, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. So we've talked about consecration. The Lord is my master. I belong to you. We've talked about celebration. The Lord is my savior. And now we're going to talk about confidence. The declaration of confidence is the Lord is my provider. Can we say that together? The Lord is my provider. How did God teach this to the, this new generation of the nation of Israel? Okay, so back to Joshua chapter 5. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna, you remember the manna? The 40 years everyday bread? The manna ceased, it stopped on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Why is this a proclamation of confidence? The Lord is my provider. Because as you know about the story, for 40 years, God provided them daily with manna. Six days He provided it. On the sixth day, you shall gather a twice what you need, because the seventh day is a day of rest. But he was faithful to provide that. And now here they are, crossing into the promised land, 
finally tasting of the fruit of the land that God promised them. And there it says the day after, the manna stopped. So all the 40 years they had manna, and then now they had something to, to partake from the fruit of the land, the manna stops. There was never a time when God did not provide for them. Now, again, just looking back at history, why this is spiritually significant. It's more than just having food to eat. It's more than that. In Deuteronomy, Moses was reminding this generation that was eventually going to cross the Jordan, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand. The word understand there is experience, not just know it in the head, so that you may know it in your heart through experience that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, folks, God's greatest provision next to His Son, Jesus, is really His Word. Amen? And I pray that as we go through messages like this, you don't just look at what's on the PowerPoint, but you look for yourself in your own Bible that what we're talking about is true and what we're concluding about God's Word really makes sense. As you and I know, His Word is full of the revelation of His character, and it's full of the revelation of His promises. And again, when it comes to provision, the one that comes uh, top of mind would be Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Again, how does this truth that we can express confidence that the Lord is my provider, how does it help us face the, ballot, the battles of life? Well, let me ask you, how many of you here uh, at the height of the pandemic, you experienced the provision of God through people? People from your small group helped you? Come on, raise your hand, because I, I certainly did. And, and keep your hands in the air. You experienced their love. You know, they sent you vitamins and food and put money in your GCash account and stuff like that. I mean, look at all the hands raised around the house. You know, you may as well raise your other hand and just give the Lord a clap offering because that's, that's what He does. His provision is multifaceted, and it comes through different channels. Let me go back to my own example. How did God prepare me for that battle in my life? You see, during that very, very dark time when my world was upside down, the Lord's provision, again, was multifaceted, and He channeled so much of it through people. Of course, His presence was there. His presence was real. But His presence is also made real through people. And so I felt like I was flying blind at that part of my life. And yet He led me to doctors who looked after me and made sure that I was recovering well. He led me to people who taught me how to do my banking online because the only thing I know how to do banking online is go to the ATM and withdraw. He led me to people who taught me how to do my groceries online. 
You see, when it came to groceries, the only thing I did was drive the car and sometimes pay the bill. And he led me to people when it came to all of the legal ramifications of losing your spouse. So God's provision is amazing. It is tremendous. And so we can always look back at our life and say, Lord, my confidence is in you because the Lord is my provider. That's how God, yes, go ahead, give him the praise. And you see, the best thing we can do is, of course, we can make all of these proclamations when we're in the middle of a battle. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But why wait until we face these battles to make these proclamations? This should be the attitude of our hearts every single day. As a matter of fact, when we revisit these principles, when we revisit these proclamations, it prevents us from becoming proud, self-confident, and complacent. And that's why we're talking about preparing for life's battles. And so we've talked about consecration, the Lord is my master. We've talked about celebration, the Lord is my savior. We talked about confidence, the Lord is my provider. Finally, we talk about complete obedience. And what is the proclamation here? Let's say it together. The Lord is my commander. You know, in Tagalog, when we say commander, it means something else, right? But here among God's people, when we say the Lord is my commander, He talks, I listen, I obey. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. Remember, Gilgal was right at the eastern edge of Jericho. And this was just before the battle would ensue. And Joshua, being the commander, the leader of the Israelites, obviously he wanted to do his own reconnoitering, his own checking out of the place. So he was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn, meaning nakalabas, sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? You know, I don't know what was going on in Joshua's mind, but it seems he was really just so full of the thought of, Lord, what's going to happen? How are we going to do this? Maybe he was strategizing what the battle plan was going to be. And so he was just so um, taken over by these thoughts that he, you know, he didn't even ask, who are you? He asked, are you for us or are you against us? And as we read earlier in the, in the verse, in the passage, that being said, no. It's kind of weird, right? You say, are you for us or against us? And the answer is no. It wasn't a yes or no question, but actually it turned out that it was. So his answer was no. Rather, I indeed come now as captain. By the way, the word captain is commander also. Captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? Now, there's some discussion about who this being really was. Some believe at the very least, clearly, it was an angel from God. Many people believe that it was the Lord himself, what they call a Christophany, an Old Testament 
apparition or visitation of Jesus Christ himself. One of the reasons why many believe that is because it says Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down. In other translations, it says he worshipped. That's what worship looks like. And elsewhere in the Bible, like in the book of Revelation, when John bowed before the angel, the angel said, ep, 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 ep. No, he didn't say, ep, ep, ep. sorry. He said, uh, no, you stand up and you worship God. But there was no such response in this case. Anyway, we will not debate because ultimately in chapter 6, God was talking to Joshua for sure. So he said, what has my Lord to say to his servant? In other words, Joshua realized, I am not the boss here. I am not the commander. So, Lord, Adonai is the word. What do you have to say to your servant? In other words, whatever you tell me, I will do it. But you know what? Maybe in his mind, he was thinking, what's the battle plan? But the answer was not about the battle plan. The answer was about Joshua's perspective. Because what the captain of the Lord, of the host of the Lord told him was, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. By the way, does that experience sound familiar to you? Just like Moses in the burning bush. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. The Reverend Edmund Chan in another message, not the one he spoke in IDC, he said this, our battleground is sacred ground. Whatever is the battleground you are in, in your life, that is holy ground. And so Joshua had to recalibrate his perspective that he is before a holy God and he has to get on his knees, on his face, bow his heart to God even before he can receive any command instruction from him. You see, you and I can mouth the words, Lord, you are my commander. But when he has us do something that we don't want to do, all of a sudden our proclamation changes. Lord, you are my commander sometimes. But when we make that proclamation, it is unconditional and it is indefinite. Folks, it is difficult to surrender to everything our commander wants us to do or to accept. But when we are fully surrendered to him, consecrated, we celebrate the fact that we have victory in Jesus, we have confidence that he's our provider, and we just look up at him as our holy commander, it leads to victorious living. Shall we bow our heads together? Father God, we thank you for teaching us how to prepare for life's battles through Joshua chapter 5. And we thank you, Lord, for the lessons of your word and how these are used by you to give one another strength in the midst of weakness and apparent defeat. But Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet bowed the knee to you as it were and declared that you are indeed his or her master and commander and savior. If you are that person, I pray you will do so right now and just tell Jesus, Lord, I don't want to live my life on my own. 
I want to circumcise my heart, as it were, and be done away with all of my fleshly, worldly, selfish ways. But I know I can't do that on my own, Lord Jesus. I need you. And today I make that humble declaration that you are the master of my life. You are the savior of my soul. You are the provider of all my needs. And you are the commander after whom I will follow 100%. So Lord, take over my life. Make me the person you want me to be. Help me to glorify you, to bless your name, and to be a blessing to many through my life from this day forward. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me first. And God, again, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We give you the honor, the glory, and praise. Lord, you said in the, the prayer for the disciples, lead us not into temptation. Lord, we do pray that you will spare us, if possible, if you're willing. And yet, as your son prayed, yet not our will but yours be done. This we pray in Jesus' name. And all your people said, amen and amen. Thank you.